Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness towards us this morning. Holy Spirit, we just look to you again on the inside that you live strong and mighty inside of us, and you are the teacher. You are the guide and the instructor of your church, and we thank you so much that this morning, Lord, we just give it over to you, and we ask you, sir, that you would continue to reveal Jesus to us right where we're at in a way that we will forever be changed. Jesus, we ask you, sir, that you would trust us with your word Trust us. Thank you for trusting us with your presence. There's nothing more beautiful, nothing more desirable in our lives, in our mind. You are our priority. You are everything to us, and we are so thankful for you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, well, we'll just, we'll start and we'll just see where, what happens here. You know, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me for a moment, we're going to read a couple of verses. In fact, I had a, I had a lot of verses to read. So we're going to have to go with this. But, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about over this time was just really, again, recognizing the season that we're in. And it's important and crucial that we understand our season so that we are walking with God and what he wants to do in this time. I mean, one of the I mean, it's huge for us. But again, our season that God's been really working in us is this time for growth, time for growing up spiritually to, you know, incorporate and develop and expand on the inside so that when you see it on the inside, you can experience it on the outside. It's a spiritual principle. That's one thing that you actually see even in uh, Genesis chapter 11 at the very beginning when God came down and he saw the, the men and women that they had, uh, they were building the Tower of Babel. And he said, now nothing that they imagine will be hindered or will be stopped from them. Everything that they're thinking about will take place. So it's crucial. I mean, we're asking, we're believing God. Those that you came up, I mean, it's great to receive prayer. Now what you need to do is you need to cultivate that image on the inside. So rather than seeing a depressed person, you start seeing yourself where on the inside, a joyful, victorious person, not this one that looks in the mirror that's just kind of looking like this. You have to change the image on the inside because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So that's part of what the, this is a spiritual concept. What I see on the inside, I experience on the outside. And for you and I, during this time that we've been talking about grace, really what the Lord, I believe, is doing in us is changing our minds, or not only our minds, but getting a new picture of what he has done and what he is doing currently in and you're in my life. So we have to allow him to paint a new picture, and part of that is changing the way that we think. Now, the Apostle Paul, again, I've, I've been doing this for some time, this, this message on grace and Jesus, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, so we'll just keep talking about it until he changes the subject. But till then, it's always good that the Lord initiates a, a change of subject. Anybody ever been on a blind date before, a date before, and it's always like, so what do you want to talk about? And then you talk about something, and then you change the subject, and it doesn't go the way you wanted it to go. <clears throat> I did that once. I mean, Jamie and I, we had to do that. We did long distance, so I had to get real comfortable being on the phone. And she would on purpose, right, Jam, on purpose, intentionally not talk on the other end of the line to make it awkward because I'm sitting there, <laughs> awkward moments, quiet moments, my hands start sweating, what do we do here? So in July sometimes she did this. So uh, what's your New Year's resolution? That's the first question that popped to my mind. So thank you, Jamie, for expanding me to communicate better and not ask that in July. But the Lord, I believe, initiated this conversation with us as a church family to lift our eyes and to get a different picture on the inside. And so we want to just continue to stick with him. Now, the Apostle Paul, he was given the mandate of preaching and, you know, basically revealing to the world the gospel of grace. And in Ephesians chapter 3, let's just turn here together. He says, his beloved friends, I'm going to just read this out. 
He says, because of my love for Jesus Christ, I am now his prisoner for the sake of all of you who are not Jews, so that you will hear the gospel that God has entrusted to me to share with you. For this wonderful mystery, which I briefly described, was given to me by divine revelation, so that whenever you read it, you will be able to understand my revelation and insight into the secret mystery of the Messiah. There has never been a generation that has been given the detailed understanding of this glorious and divine mystery until... Aren't you thankful for that? What are we living in? The day that God is going, hey, here I am. Fully exposing himself to the earth. That's what he did. And it was hidden in all that time for 4,000 years. God was hidden and we would get glimpses. The prophets would get glimpses here and there. So now God, again, God, he kept it a secret until this generation. So I don't know about you, but that to me, I see that. I see a promise. So when I read these scriptures, I go, okay, this is for me. You kept it a secret until this generation. Lord, I'm supposed to see it. All right, thank you for your excitement on that. (laughs) God is revealing it only now to his sacred apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, verse 6, ready? Here's the secret. Don't you love when that happens? We have a huge thing to show you and I, but you're going to have to wait till 2024. Let down. God's got, I got this massive secret I can't wait to tell you, and here's the secret. What's the secret? The gospel of grace has made you, say it, has made me, non-Jewish believers, into co-heirs of his promise through your union with him. Woo! That's exciting news. Everything Jesus got, I get And he says, and now you have become members of his body, one with the anointed one. I have been given, I've been, sorry, I've been made a messenger of this wonderful news by the gift of grace that works through me, even though I am the least significant of all his holy believers. This grace gift was imparted when the manifestation of his power came upon me. Grace alone empowers me so that I can boldly preach this wonderful message to non-Jewish people, sharing with them the unfading, inexhaustible riches of Christ, which are beyond comprehension. Man, grace is showing itself off. Verse 9, he says, My passion is to enlighten every person to this divine mystery. It was hidden for ages past until now and kept a secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. Now look at this, verse 10. The purpose of all this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic rulers in the heavenly realm God's full and diverse wisdom revealed through his church. What is God wanting to do? You and I are here to demonstrate and to reveal the manifold or the wisdom of God throughout generations. Another way of saying it this way is that God broke the silence concerning his plan. And when he did that through Jesus, all the unseen authority in the heavenlies was confronted with God's genius. And now the church is assigned to reveal and demonstrate his grace throughout the earth. So you and I are to experience, when we see and experience the grace of God, we're now to manifest it in this earth. That's what your assignment is. Shorting, what's my job as a believer? Your job is to see the goodness of God, experience the goodness of God, and tell about it everywhere you go so that it spreads. And now the church becomes a super spreader. (laughs) We breathe it on everybody. We're talking moistly everywhere we possibly can go. 
Why? To spread the gospel, to get this grace out across the land. Now look at this in Acts chapter 20. Again, I'm just giving you a little bit of an account of Paul, his calling, his purpose. And I want you and I just to catch the heart of this because this man wrote over half the New Testament. There's a message attached to this. There's a reason why you and I are on this earth. And it's not just to go to work, do our thing every day, pay some bills, bring the kids to school. There's more to this. We're supposed to experience and encounter this grace daily. He goes this, again, uh, Paul, when he had sent message to the elders of the church in Ephesus, he asked them to come to meet him. So Paul is now going, what you're going to see and read here is the message that Paul gave to the church leaders before they would never see him again as Paul was going on his way to Rome, okay? So this is a, this is a big deal. This is like the last words of Paul to his men, to his women that are leaders in the church, Okay, verse 18, when they arrived, Paul, he said to them, all of you know how I've lived and conducted myself while I was with you. From the first day I set foot in Western Turkey, I've operated in God's miracle power with great humility and served you with many tears. I've endured numerous ordeals because of the plots of the Jews. You know how I've taught you in public meetings and in your homes and that I've held nothing back from you that would help you grow. So what's the purpose here? Grow. Grow. Church, grow. Leaders, grow. People, grow. The whole body, growing. You can see this is the plan of God that you don't stay stagnant. We're supposed to be growing up together. I urge both Jews and non-Jews to turn from sin to God and to have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am captive to the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem without really knowing what will happen to me there. Yet I do know this, that the Holy Spirit warns me in town after town saying chains and afflictions are prepared for you. Aren't you thankful Paul's not a quitter? This man wrote most of the New Testament in jail. And what did he teach on? Grace. He says, whether I live or die is not important for I don't esteem my life as indispensable. It's more important, say it with me, it's more important for me to fulfill my destiny and to finish the ministry my Lord Jesus has assigned to me. And Paul's specific purpose was to faithfully preach the wonderful news of God's grace. I've been a part of your lives and shared with you many times the message of God's kingdom realm. But now I leave you and you will not see my face again. And if any of you should be lost, I will not be blamed for my conscience is clean. Because I've taught you everything I could about God's eternal plan and I've held nothing back. So now he's talking to these leaders. He says, guard your hearts. Say with me, guard your hearts. Before you do anything else, guard your heart. Be true shepherds over all the flock and feed them well. Remember, it was the Holy Spirit who appointed you to guard and oversee the churches that belong to Jesus, the anointed one, which he purchased and established by his own blood. I mean, whose church is this? It's Jesus' church. He bought, he bled, he died for it. Verse 29, he says, Now I, I know that after I leave, imposters who have no loyalty to the flock will come among you like savage wolves. Even some from among your own, their own ranks, they're going to rise up, twisting the truth to seduce people into following them instead of Jesus. What are they doing? Making disciples unto themselves. Now, what's the purpose here? Yeah, we're, we're discipling. You may go, why? Well, yeah, I'm learning a lot at impact. Great. But the goal is not to make you disciples of impact. The goal is to make you a disciple of Jesus. That's always the goal. Not here to build a big church. You're here to build big people, right? Okay. 
So he says, be alert and discerning. Remember that for three years, night and day, I've, stopped, uh, I've never stopped warning each of you, pouring out my heart to you with many tears. Verse 32, and so now, I love this verse. I entrust you into God's hands and the message of his grace. Why did he just say, I entrust you to God's hands? Because a lot of times, again, people kind of think, oh, I'm just, I'll, I'll go up with God. I'm just hanging out with God. Me and God are good. But the only way you can be close and connected to God is through the message of his grace. The moment I get away from the word of God, listen, again, the enemy, he doesn't try once in a while to appear like an angel of light. The Bible says he does that. Have you read that before in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe? He appears as an angel of light. Why? To, to you know, basically screw your thinking, to twist scriptures, to really pull you away from what grace says. I don't know about you, but I've heard people say, oh, God told me this. Oh, I'm supposed to divorce my wife. Yeah, God told me to get another one. Really? You got a scripture for that? No, I just got it in a dream. Yeah, that's, that's, that's demon, son. That's demon. So we have got to be aware. The more that I understand what the word of God says, the less easier I am to deceive. So the word is always our foundation. So now he says, I entrust you into God's hands and the message of his grace. Now notice what this message is able to do. It's all that you need to become. What makes you strong? The law. Preaching the law. No, the message of grace is what makes you strong. He continues on to say, all of God's blessings are imparted to you through the message of his grace. What are God's blessings? Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, financially, relationally, God's blessing comes from the message of his grace. Not telling people how to do better, be better, think better, do better. All that's good, but how do I do all that? By understanding the message of his grace, which again, he provides as the spiritual inheritance given to all of his holy ones. So again, this word really popped out at me, this word in trust. Now you look up this word in trust, it simply means this, to assign the responsibility for doing something to someone. So what Paul is literally saying, I'm no longer going to be here with you. So now I am giving the responsibility of your care, of understanding the blessing of God, of your spiritual inheritance, of looking after all that concerns your life. I am now taking the responsibility off of me and I'm putting it onto the message of his grace. The message of grace is able to deliver you no matter where you are. What is the message of grace? It's Jesus. Grace isn't a topic, it's a man. All right. So now what, in essence, what Paul is saying is I'm giving you all to this message of grace. Grace now has taken the responsibility to care for your every need and well-being. Listen to this. I don't, don't let this just go, oh, that's nice Christianese wording. No. Grace now, again, has taken the responsibility to strengthen you to live a separated life from this world. Not the law, not rules in Christianity, grace. Grace now has taken the responsibility to grow you up to be a mature believer and, from, and form you into the image of Jesus. Grace has taken the responsibility to impart the blessings of God in your life. Grace has given you access to know God intimately, far beyond any Old Testament believer. You kind of go look at Moses and go, man, Moses had a walk with God. Yeah, but the New Testament believer, you've been given access to grace. When you get grace, grace is basically God exposing himself to you. 
When Jesus hung on the cross, it was the most vulnerable state that God has ever been in. Completely revealing himself, completely humbling himself, even to the point of death, the death of a cross. There he hung completely naked for the world that, all cre- that was created by him to look at the face of their creator and to see the intimacy that's on that. What did Jesus reveal? Grace. Grace is God showing himself intimately to you and I. Not at a distance. You stay over here. That's what the law did. The law kept him at a distance. Don't climb up the mountain because if you do, you got to kill him. He's not, no longer keeping the stiff arm out towards you when you try to get to him. And all of a sudden, you come wanting to walk into God's presence, and boom, you get stiff-armed, going, what's, what's going on here? A father now has embraced you by his grace. Now, God previously spoke to the prophets of the old to get across what he was doing, but now God speaks son. You speak English, God speaks Jesus. That's his language. That's how he communicates. This was on the tip of his tongue from the beginning. Before the earth was even f- uh, formed, Jesus was called the, lion, the lamb that was slain. This has been on God's tip of his tongue for generations after generations until fall, Paul finally says, and now here's the secret. What's the secret? God started a brand new conversation with people, no longer under the law, but now under grace. And the message is Jesus, 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 Jesus. When you see him, you see me. So he freely showed off Jesus. He freely showed off his love because Jesus mirrored the Father perfectly. God broke the silence with Jesus. Ah, Okay. Now, the Father desires for your life to be wrapped up in his grace. Religion now keeps you in the way, keeps you focused on you, on what you need to do in order to accomplish for God to move. Religion actually gets you involved doing God's work. That's the problem with religion, is religion is thinking, this is its thought, now that I'm saved, what do I have to do to get this right? Grace, or faith's response to grace is, Lord, I believe what you did on my behalf, and I depend on you to fulfill it in my life, so I give you room in my heart and my mind, change my thinking, renovate my mindset. Now look at this scripture. Again, this is the whole New Testament goal right here is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is the scripture. I mean, you've probably heard this and quote this through about three or four different translations. It's a popular verse, but it can't be popular that we don't actually do it. This is the Christian's job now is I don't be conformed to this world, their way of thinking, their way of behaving, their way of operating. It's all, there's a system that's out there that's operating. Instead, he says, you must be transformed. What's that word transformed? Where do we get that word? It's metamorphosis. Anybody ever done, I mean, we're homeschooling a little bit now, so I get to look up a few little things, (laughs) such as like, how does a butterfly come again? Familiar verse, familiar. But think about it. You start with some eggs. It turns into a larva. Into a pupa? Pupa? What is it? Pupa. Pupa. And then that turns into a butter. So you start off as this seed. And then you turn into this ugly, uh, what is this thing? Into this caterpillar that we've probably ran over as bikes as kids numerous times. They're just looking to get into that cocoon. And what happens? Not Cancun. That's where I get transformed. <laughs> I show up as a white tourist, I leave. Hey, hola, como estas, senor? <laughs> they, uh, what I mean by that is they start speaking Spanish to me because they think I'm one of them. 
The Lord has given me pigment and I'm so thankful for it. And all the white folks in the house went, yeah. <laughs> so he says, but be transformed. Metamorphosis. How am I transformed from a pupa, 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 to a butterfly? How does that happen? Oh, God, would you just please just change this in my life? Just change this. Please, God, I'm just asking you. Oh, Lord, I'm going to get a lot of people just to come pray for me. No. How do I change from a pupa to a butterfly? Is now changing the way that I think. And that word renew is the Greek word for renovation. Whenever you do a renovation, I know there's some folk that have done renovations in their house recently. We got a builder in the house that actually does renovations for you. And what is it? It's taking the old model, the old look, completely gutting it out and bringing in the brand and the fresh new stuff. This is what it's all about. So you and I, we are actively participating. It's not that, okay, I'm going to just change the way they think it is all by osmosis. I'm positioning myself in such a way where God now is able to get his thoughts into my soul. Because listen, the battle is where? It's for my soul. Satan wants your soul. God wants your soul. Because it's the medium. It's the go-between your spirit and your flesh. You're going to do whatever's more dominant in your thinking. The word or just my flesh, the old self, what I like to do. So I have to make the decision, what am I going to agree on? What am I going to change my mind to? Great. I'm glad we're good on that. So now what am I renewing my mind to? We would just say, yeah, the word. But more specifically, what am I renewing my mind to? The message of his grace. Say with me, I'm renewing my mind to the message of his grace. This is what I'm renewing my mind to. Because some people, I'm going to just ruin my mind to, to healing. Healing, yeah, by stripes I'm healed. That's good, but don't just separate Healing, for example, from the healer. He is grace. Grace has given healing. So get to know him, and healing is simply the result of getting to know him. So sometimes we kind of just look at things in topic, and again, there's nothing wrong for doing in-depth studies on that, but don't get so focused on healing, 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 that you forgot it all came as an act of grace at the finished works of the cross. So how do I approach the cross? Do I look at it from the front or am I looking at it now from the back? Because again, how we approach this cross is vital. Because if I'm approaching it head on, meaning, oh God, he's still on that cross. He's not there anymore. We celebrate that. We go it with complete honor and awe and thank you, Jesus. But don't forget, you're now on the other side of it looking at going, he's already risen from the dead. My healing is solid now. Okay, moving on now. Now, Grace has taken the responsibility to not only provide you with everything you need, grace is going to teach you how to receive what has been provided and how to do life right. Aren't you thankful for that? And the rest of you, aren't you thankful for that? What, what do you do in your marriage? What do you do with money? What do you do with a boss that's nasty? What do you do with employees that talk smack? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Just hit them? Feels good. But what do I got to do? Thank God grace is going to teach you and I how to do this life right. Sickness tries to attack my body. I'm having a financial problem. All of these things, grace has taken on the responsibility. I want you to hear those words. Grace has taken the responsibility to educate and to train up his church. So God's not using car accidents to teach you anything. 
God's not going to use sickness and disease. He's not going to break your leg to get you to slow down a little bit. What kind of dad would that be? All of a sudden, I want to just hang out with my kids a little bit so I, you know, I'll punch him in the face. Oh, sorry about that. Bam. Oh, you, you want to lay down for a little bit? Yeah, come talk with Papa for a little bit. Oh, he wouldn't want to hang out with me. That's, that's, that's mental. So now, grace teaching us means two things here. Number one, it's not behavior modification, meaning this. I'm not trying to change externally to become a better Christian because religion is a poor teacher. Religion focuses on you to fix the external by following the rules and the traditions to determine if, some, if God does something for you. And the result is frustration. The result is fruit, fruitlessness. On the other hand now, grace teaching us means as I spend time in his word, the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is going to sound so easy. He's going to reveal to me the nature of Jesus. And when I see who he is and how he is, he then empowers me with the ability to do just what I saw. Christianity 101. It's what? Ephesians 5.1. This, this is it in a nutshell. He said, imitate God in everything you do because you're his kids. So if I'm supposed to imitate, what does that mean? I have to see something in order to do something. Your kids are a direct result of what they've seen you. I mean, some of them are sports addicts. Some of them enjoy doing math. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> they like doing all these things. Why? They, they, they respond. They do things like this because they see you do it. Well, God, if he's telling you and I, okay, this is how you parent all this, I need to see it from him first. So the great news in all this is God has opened himself up and said, hey, you, this is what I'm telling you to do. Watch me do it, and then you go ahead and do it. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. You and I, religion will have you think that you have to initiate or start something. Never true. In the Christian life, we are simply the responders to what grace has already done. We don't have to initiate your healing. You don't have to try to initiate peace in your home. You don't have to initiate the joy. What do you do? You respond to what grace does. And the response, a lot of the times, it's voice activated. Lord, I just want to acknowledge right now that joy is on the inside of me. You may not feel it at all. Driving to church today, I even said it to Jamie, I'm so thankful that Christianity is not based on how I feel because if it's based on how I feel, I don't feel saved this morning at all. <laughs> Whew. Yesterday sucked. Anybody else have a crappy day yesterday? Whoo, Jesus. First of all, my son lost his soccer game. That wasn't helpful. I locked myself in the room and let Jamie parent for four hours. I, I need some time alone. I need to process this loss. It's true. <laughs> I took the loss hard, man. I took the loss hard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not like that. <laughs> and the result of simply seeing and then responding to that is that I actually get to enjoy my relationship with the Lord. I get to enjoy it. And the result again is I'll be fruitful and I'll have a good time with it. Now, <laughs> let's go to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2 verse 11 through 13. It says this, that God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, bringing salvation 
for everyone. So who do we know this to be? Manifested. Who manifested? Jesus. So it manifested for everyone. Now, the very next verse says, this same grace. Man, grace is so versatile. Grace says, by his stripes you are healed. Sweet. But now it also says, this same grace, this same Jesus that bought and paid for your sin, that rose from the dead, now this same grace that did all of that on your behalf, this same grace that you, don't, you didn't have to work for, you didn't have to strive for, anybody earned their salvation this morning? No, it was a gift. Well, now this same grace, this same exact one, just a different, look at the mountain from another side, this exact same grace is teaching us. Who's this word, us? The church. The grace, verse 11, grace has been revealed to everyone But now the grace is only teaching those who received the grace to begin with. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, yeah, he became your Lord. But now it doesn't stop there. Some of you think, okay, I just, I got my salvation. That's good. I'm okay. Now I can just, I'll just, you know, hold on to this till I get to heaven. Thank God you're going to heaven, but you're missing out on the greatest teacher that ever could ever live. He wants to teach you a few things. And what does he want to teach you? How to live each day to turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. So I want you to say, here's, you know, ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. He's going to teach you and I how to do this. Did did you catch that? Did you see my move? We would call ungodliness and, you know, indulgent lifestyles. What would you say those things are? Sins. What else? Be a little bit more specific. Unbelief. Yeah, what, what else? Lust. Come on now. Now we're, we're hitting the big stuff. We're going big here. All right. What else? Is, lying. Stealing. Cheating. Bad attitudes. Did you know that's part of it? That's an indulgent lifestyle. Some people enjoy being miserable. Depression. Anxiety, all of this stuff, what is grace going to do? He's going to teach you to turn your back on it. And when I'm, if I'm turning my back on it, then what am I going towards? I'm going towards grace and what he's provided. He's going to teach you Christianity, religious rules, isn't going to teach you this stuff. A prayer service. Thank God for all of those things. They're all great tools. Confession. If I could just say it a thousand times, then I'll be free. All of that is nothing wrong with that. That keeps you focused. But he said, grace is going to teach you how to do this. So you can stop this. Oh, I just, everything just seems so tough. I'm, I'm trying hard. I'm working my best. Stop it. That's the problem. You are in the way. You are trying to teach you how to stop and you do it for about a week and then you fall right back into the same cycle again. So what do we got to do? Stop it and go, Lord, this is where I'm at. These are some of the thoughts that I'm having. These are some of the, you know, the tendencies that I keep walking into. Teach me by your grace how to do this. And now I have to give him the floor to start teaching me. Okay. Verse 13. We do this by we continue to look forward to the joyful fulfillment of our hope in the dawning splendor of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus, the anointed one. So now, 
if uh, I'm turning my back on ungodliness, what is ungodliness? It's not just the actions of ungodliness. Ungodliness simply means this, disregarding God or ignoring him. So who is this? What is this grace teaching? Is it teaching the world at this point? No. Grace is teaching anyone that wants it. So a question that we have to or look at ourselves is, ungodliness is not just for the, those in the world who don't have Jesus as their Lord in their life. Ungodliness also includes believers who ignore them. So a question is that we have to ask is, how many times have I done something in my life without God? When's the last time I said, Lord, is this the direction that you want me to go? Lord, what, how do I respond to this situation with my wife? Lord, how do I do this with my finance? Have you stopped and asked? Because if not, the Bible calls that ungodliness or you're just doing life without God. And the greatest sin in the church is trying to be like God apart from God. We just assume this is what God does. And assuming is prideful. Humility asks. And who gets the grace? The humble folk get the grace. So what am I doing? I'm living my life constantly to this place of, Lord, what would you have me do here? Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, I said, I don't just need God for the big stuff. I need him to help me go to Walmart. I need him to help me put my clothes on. Does this match? Because Jamie says it doesn't. But what does grace say? Grace says, you look at my fine. I said, thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. Hey, Jamie, guess what? She helped me this morning, kind of. She whistled at me. Did you whistle? It could have been Jace, too. One of, somebody whistled at me. I don't care who it was. I just went, I'll take it <laughs> and continue on my way. <laughs> so grace is teaching me. So if I'm, again, turning my back on ungodliness or I'm turning my back on ignoring God, what am I embracing? I'm embracing grace is going to teach me how to depend on God. Go back to the very reason or the way, the way you and I were created, to depend on him. <laughs> the fall of man in Genesis 3, we in essence, mankind in essence, declared our independence from God. We communicated to God, we don't need you. We can figure this out. We got the tools and we're able to survive on our own as they knit grass skirts. Wow. So again, what is wrong in the, I mean, what did Satan do? What did Lucifer do with a third of the angels? They basically declared their independence from God. What did, you know, Satan do in the garden with Adam and Eve? He got them to declare their independence from God and they became ungodly. And when you stay in this ungodly state long enough, meaning you're not regarding him, you're not going to him asking for these things, ungodly lifestyles or all the fruit from ungodliness that it provides, the sin that y'all just listed out there is the result of that. So what is grace teaching me? Teaching me again to go completely dependent on God so that I can live a godly lifestyle. Listen, even from a, let's just talk about it from a church perspective. Anything that we do as a church that I don't rely on God for, it's ungodly. I, if I give in the offering and I'm not giving depending on God, it's ungodly. Can you see this? All the good acts that we could do, all the things that we could go to reach out and, you know, just love on our community. Great, well done. Did you do it while you're depending on God? If not, it is ungodly. 
So you and I have to constantly take a measure on the inside of ourselves going, am I depending on God while I'm doing this? Or am I just doing this on my own whim, knowing that, hey, I got, I got a net. I got some backup that if I fall back into it, I'm going to be okay. I got a savings account. I got a few things that will hold me up a little bit if things don't pan out the way that they should. Grace, again, is going to teach you how to completely depend on him. Oh, where do I go from here? Um, should I give you one verse and then we'll pick it up November 13th? Okay. The reason I say that is we have a guest speaker next week and then I'm, I'm in another city the week after. So we'll, get, we'll pick it up November 13th. We okay with that? So can you remember all this? Okay. I'll leave you with this last thought. John chapter 16, verse 27, last verse here. But what Jesus came to do, Jesus came to reveal the heart and the nature of our Father to bring us back to original design. That was the whole purpose of why Jesus, oh, not the whole, that was a major purpose of why Jesus came. Obviously, we know Jesus came to purchase our freedom, but he also came with a message. What was his message? The God that you Israelites talk about, you see him as judge. You see him as one of law that if you do, he's gonna. I'm here to reveal to you the fatherhood of this being that you call Jehovah. And now listen, the Pharisees hated him. Religion will hate when you start talking these types of things. Why? Because Jesus came to get you out of the equation and put himself there and say, I'll take care of all this on your behalf because you can't. That's why we celebrate him. We can't, nobody, we can't heal anybody. We can't help anybody get out of a mental state that's just so blah, blah, crazy. We can't do any of that. So what do we have to do? Point people to the source of life. Everything he has is good. Everything he does is good. Everything he touches turns into beauty. You may be a puddle of ashes this morning. All he needs to do is just breathe life on you. And the result is you come up from that dirty ground and you say, oh, no, no, I'm not playing like this anymore. And you now rise from this ashes and it's beautiful. How does he do all that? It's his nature. It's who he is. And he longs to do that with those that will just simply turn their backs on ignoring him and fully embracing who he is and what he's got. Only he can do that. No church, no even prayer can do that. I can't do that. You know, you see that in the book of Acts. After uh, James and John, they healed a, a, a man that's been laying there for 40 years. And they actually said, all of the Israelites were like, wow, this is amazing. How, look at this. He's jumping and praising God. How did you do all this? Peter had to stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You think that by our holiness, by our, look what I can do, by my prayer, by the church that I operate in, you think that's what made this work? You think that's what saved this soul? You think that's what healed this physical body? No, 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 no. It's faith in the name of of Jesus that made this man stand, that made this man jump and leap and praise God in front of you all. It's his name. It's his name because his name is also his nature. When you declare his name, you're basically declaring the whole New Testament of grace and slapping whatever problem you may be facing in the face and saying grace wins every time. So it's not by how our piety or our, our, our goodness or, oh, I prayed four hours this past week, so the Lord's going to do something mighty this Sunday. I, I can just feel it. That is ungodly. Why? Because I'm depending on my prayer life so that you have it good. Stupid. 
Anybody else think that's stupid? Aren't you glad that the, this service wasn't dependent on how, oh, Joel better have been a good Christian this week. He did this in spite of my day yesterday. Aren't you thankful for him? So that's why we can just oh, completely trust him in Jesus again. Let me finish off this verse. Did I read it yet? I didn't. Okay. All right. The Father himself loves you dearly. Why? Because you believe me that I came from God. What? The Father loves me because I, I spent, you know, eight hours in prayer. No, no, no. The Father loves you dearly. Why? Because you simply believed that Jesus Christ came from God. So this morning, you are in a great spot. Anybody here believe Jesus is Lord? You believe that Jesus came from God? Well, guess what the Father declares over you? I love you dearly. This is where all of this changed and we start to cut our ties from living ungodly because really the root of ungodly living is I'm not convinced that he loves me. When I know he loves me, I can easily cut these ties and I can fully lean on God completely and rest in his love, rest in his care. And that's where you and I are called to live in this place called rest. But it's a process. Because how many of you say that I'm depending on God completely this morning? No, no, no. We're, we're, we're human. We're working on it. Maybe at about 42%. So what we're going to do over this course of these next couple of weeks in time is we're going to just slowly cut our ties and see the nature and the kindness of our Lord and Savior. And when you see that, oh, Lord, I want to go your way. I want Yes, of course. Of course I want to do things this way. Why? Because God's not out to make life suck for you. He's trying to give you the best of everything he's got. But we've got to align ourselves with who he is in his ways. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. We love you this morning. Holy Spirit, we just ask you that you would continue to solidify and make real your word in and of our lives. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done in those that responded to the call this morning. Lord, we just, again, come into agreement with this. We thank you that every need is met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Our trust is in you. Our faith is in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.